Hi there, uh, this is Jerry recording uh, an Intermediates podcast episode for Comms to 100. We had uh, missed a little discussion of interpersonal communication, so I wanted to make sure we, we came back around to that here. Um, we had talked about interpersonal and defined it as an exchange of messages between two people in a relationship that are influenced by each other. There's a sense of interdependence that um, they rely on each other in some way. If you can just blow it off and that person's interchangeable, doesn't matter who they are, uh, the relationship will not continue. You go to the grocery store, that one person is, is checking you out at line. You say, hi, how are you doing? They say, good, how are you? You know, it, it doesn't matter if it, you went to that line or you're at the next clerk, it's going to be the same interaction. They don't care about you, probably. If the next person in line is fine for them, too. Right? There's no interdependence. You're not really influenced by each other. There's not much of a relationship. Uh, so grocery store, gas station, coffee shop, all those kind of things, where if it doesn't really mean too much, we wouldn't call that interpersonal. Now, if you guys um, do have the sense of an ongoing relationship, you do get influenced by each other. Maybe you're friends. Maybe you're romantically interested. Um, maybe they're a friend of a friend. Then it might be a little bit different. Um, our text talks about different types of love. Uh, we've got this, this idea of love as being made up of three components. It's on page uh, 191, passion, commitment, and intimacy. Right, so passion, commitment, and intimacy coming from Sternberg. Um, he called that Sternberg's triangle of love. So it, it's kind of this theoretical way of thinking about love. He also has a couple of measures um, so that there are surveys to get at how much passion uh, is in the relationship, how much commitment, and how much intimacy. Um, so measuring all three bases. And you can represent that with a triangle. So if you have this kind of perfect romantic ideal relationship high in all three, you should have this big triangle that's pretty much balanced. It's equilateral. All the sides are equal, all the angles are equal, and we've got at one angle um, passion, at another angle commitment, at another angle intimacy. Right? So this perfect equilateral triangle, ideally all the angles are pretty similar, 60 degrees if I remember my, my geometry. Okay. Um, people will look at different types of relationships. Uh, are they starting? Are they ending? Are they somewhere in the middle? Are they long-term relationships? Are they just kind of dating? Um, so my friend Mike and I had looked at that uh, at a college sample of UConn students, and we had kind of categorized people based on the type of relationships that they had. So we looked at people who were in long-term committed relationships, we looked at people who were just dating, and we looked at people who said they were in friends with benefits relationships. And that's an area that's gotten a lot more attention through the research. Uh, I don't know that it's a new phenomenon, but Friends with Benefits, FWB, has, has gathered a lot of scholarly attention in the past couple of years. So I think they say somewhere around 20 to 30 percent of college students have had FWB relationships or in them. So we used the, the triangle of love measures to see if we could plot out the triangles for people in different types of relationships. So just as we expected, people who are in long-term committed relationships, they had about equal high levels of passion, commitment, and intimacy we had our equilateral triangle. Uh, then we had those that group that was just dating. Um, and we found they were pretty high in passion, 
pretty high in liking, um, but not very high in commitment. Right? So we had uh, that triangle suddenly looked a little bit skewed. We had similar angles for passion and intimacy, but a much sharper angle for commitment and a short, you know, the triangle is shorter on that end. So we lose our equilateral uh, vision. We've got a small skewed triangle, not as much commitment, probably just as you expect, you know, it's college, things are casual. When, when we looked at people who are in friends with benefits relationships, um, that passion was still really high. Liking was less than the other relationships and commitment was way less. Uh, so now we have this really skewed triangle um, angled sharply towards passion, and not much, not as much intimacy, and really not much commitment at all. Uh, so we thought that was kind of an interesting application of, of those three in the triangle of love and plotting out different relationships. Uh, the other interesting thing was that the Yukon students, um, a lot of them reported being in friends with benefits relationships or having been in them. Um, like I said, I think. The national average usually is, is somewhere between 20 to 30 percent. Yukon's average was somewhere around 50. Um, we thought that was pretty remarkable. We didn't know if that's changing over time or if there's something to being out in the woods of Storrs, Connecticut, and rather isolated with not much else to do on a weekend night. Um, but we can, we can only speculate as to uh, why it was higher there. Uh, another big area within um, interpersonal is kind of where it's blending with online communication. Uh, sometimes people call it computer-mediated communication. So we see a lot of overlap. Um, early days of, of computer-mediated communication, people thought we would just use uh, email to communicate with each other, and we'd pretty much just do it to communicate about tasks and jobs and relay commands and information that because we can't really communicate much emotion, we don't have any of the nonverbal cues associated with face-to-face, -face, that we just wouldn't do that. Um, so they thought it'd just purely be task and kind of robotic in nature in the way we communicate, and we do all of our interpersonal and emotional communication face-to-face. -face. Um, but that's not the case, obviously. Um, so as we started to communicate more about our personality and explore emotions online, uh, we had researchers develop the Social Information Processing Theory, SIP. Uh, researchers from Michigan State um, starting on this back in the day. And the idea is that we can spend more time when we're communicating online, thinking and editing and responding. We can really manage our, our identity. Um, and we can carefully communicate emotion, whether it's through emoticon or... Um, the way we write or inserting pictures or now video chat, audio chat, etc., etc., um, that we actually can. That even though it's not the same as face to face, it doesn't necessarily mean we can't do it. Um, so I always think of this um, in terms of Jurassic Park back when they, they thought the dinosaurs couldn't reproduce. They said it just can't be done. And then they find out oh, the dinosaurs are reproducing. And one of the guys says, Life finds a way. So that's what I think about social information processing theory. And the way we communicate identity and, and emotion online is life finds a way. That even though uh, some of those cues are restricted, it's not the same as face-to-face, -face, we've still found a way around that. Um, what they find when they, they compare relationships that have started just online uh, versus relationships that are started face-to-face -face is that it takes a little longer for the online relationship to, um, to get to the same levels of intimacy and trust and, and people to communicate deep information about themselves. But after that time, 
couple months, uh, uh, you know, year at the far end, those relationships are just as intimate as those that are face-to-face, -face, and sometimes they're more intimate. So it leads to this idea of the hyper-personal, that because we can so much craft our, our responses and information and think about the way we communicate ourselves that we might relay even more information about ourselves and disclose a lot. You know, think about teenagers, maybe not you, but a friend or a cousin or younger sibling, uh, communicating online, kind of exploring romantic relationships for the first time. Maybe there's an internet boyfriend or a girlfriend uh, and kind of this pen pal thing where people disclose a lot of their inner feelings that maybe they wouldn't disclose with people in a face-to-face -face setting at that age. Um, and we still do that as, as adults, but it's this idea of, of communication getting hyper-personal, uh, even deeper uh, personally than maybe we get face-to-face -face sometimes. Um, we see a lot more attention from interpersonal communication blending over with online dating. A lot of the theory and research there, you know, even though it's not face-to-face, -face, uh, a lot of the same stuff applies. I think I told you guys a little bit about OkCupid as a free dating website that collects a ton of information. They relay that information in their blog, OkTrends, and it's kind of a fun thing to check out. Uh, they write it pretty casually and, and in a pop um, style, so it's really accessible to, to get at what's working on their site, uh, how are men getting more dates, how are women getting more dates, what type of pictures, what type of music they say they like, um, how they... they communicate that they like each other. How do you set up that introduction? Uh, so pr some pretty interesting stuff there. Um, speaking of trends, we're seeing more online dating uh, sites, but we're also seeing these apps, and, and a lot of them maybe towards more casual dating and hookups and, and that kind of thing. So we saw Tinder you know, only started a couple of years back in 2012. Uh, they're reporting they're getting up to 2 million users a day. Um, and we saw uh, Anthony Weiner's scandal as he's posting lewd pictures of himself on Tinder, uh, probably bringing a lot of attention to that site. Um, there's a uh, grinder, which is for the gay audience and maybe even more uh, set up towards casual hookups. Um, really popular as well. So we're, uh, maybe if college students aren't doing online dating, they're trying more of these casual sites, um, but we're seeing this kind of rapid explosion in growth with those. Um, and then the last bit we, we didn't get to talk too much about was um, interpersonal attraction, starting on page uh, 197. Uh, this idea of, that we're attracted to people who are in proximity to us, uh, people who live near us, people who sit near us, people who work near us. Um, you know, we tend to gravitate towards them, and that's how we form relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic. They have to be near us uh, and in our social circles and we see them online and we see them face to face and, and we have lots of opportunity to communicate with them. We usually like them more. People talk about sitting in a class and not really digging that person next to them at the beginning of the semester, but after repeat exposure and that they are so close, people say, oh, you know, they're pretty cute. Maybe I do like them. Um, so just by being near people uh, kind of changes our attraction to them. Um, there's, there's some talk about interpersonal similarity. Um, so if you look on page 199, these ideas that we're attracted to people who are similar to us, we feel that they come from the same background, they look like us with the matching hypothesis, 
And maybe they come from a similar genetic background with the genetic similarity hypothesis. Uh, that doesn't mean we can't be attracted to people who come from other races um, and ethnic groups, but we tend to gravitate towards people who are the same as us. So it's a tendency. It's not necessarily a limitation. Uh, so uh, now you know a little bit more about interpersonal and forming relationships and interpersonal attraction. Uh, use your powers for good as you go out into the world. Uh, see you guys later.